Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the church, campus locations, service times, and more, visit ecoegt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram, at ecoegt. Now let's repair our hearts as we go into the message. today a sermon series entitled Red Letters. So the next four weeks, we're going to be going through literally the red letters. The red letters are uh, in your Bible, right? You get a Bible and it has all the red letters in it. Those are the sayings of Jesus. You see a red letter in your Bible, it means Jesus spoke it. And so we're going to be looking and reading and diving into what Jesus says about a lot of things. So the next four weeks, we'll be in a sermon series called Red Letters. Today, we're actually going to start a two-part sermon on the first sermon that Jesus ever brought. This is going to be one of his first times that he actually speaks in public with, with, a, with a crowd and he's teaching them. And possibly even one of his first discourses with the disciples. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. There we're going to find the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going we're gonna to take the next two weeks and preach on the Beatitudes. Today, we're going to focus on the first four Beatitudes, and next week, we're going to focus on the following four Beatitudes. And for our scripture reading today, we have a very special guest going to read the scripture. Let's watch this on the screen. We are here this evening on the mountainside where it is believed that Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount. Let's turn to Matthew's Gospel and begin reading in chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. And God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That pretty cool pastor is in Israel this week and is at where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. And I was like, hey, you got to read the Beatitudes right where Jesus, Jesus read them. You, you can see him on the mountain in the background. That was the Sea of Galilee. And just right there, beautiful beautiful imagery. But here in the Beatitudes, what Jesus is doing on the Sermon of the Mount 
is he's actually laying out kingdom principles. He's laying out principles for the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom that he's come to establish. And, and, and he's painting, in, in, in a sense, a portrait. He's painting a beautiful image of what, of what the kingdom of God is is like, and, and just like a portrait, where if you're looking at a portrait and we just take one section from the top left-hand corner, you don't get a full glimpse of what the portrait is entailing. The same is true with the Beatitudes. We can't just look at one and say, all right, I'm going to stop there, and I'm not going to worry about this one. I'm going to choose this one, but not do that. No, we need every single Beatitude for us to live the way that God has called each of us to live and to understand the portrait of God's kingdom. Our, our, our basic topic today is this, is, is kingdom living leads to kingdom blessing. Kingdom living leads to kingdom blessing. And Jesus shows us in the Beatitudes that God has pronounced blessing on kingdom living. As Christ's first sermon, I love that he didn't come to pronounce uh, uh, judgment on the wicked, but instead he came to pronounce blessing on his people. He didn't come and say, you know, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pronounce maledictions on people. No, I'm going to pronounce benedictions on his people. We're going to look today at what it means to be blessed, what it means to live a blessed life. So let's take this word blessed for a moment. And in Greek, it's, it, it's a word called makarios. And makarios means blessed, it means happy, and it means fortunate. So when we read this here, we, we could actually say God blesses those. It, it also, uh, some translation says that, it, that God makes happy those. And, and we could also say that God views people fortunate that do this. See, God has laid out for how each of us are called to live a blessed life. What Christ is saying here, he's saying it's not what a man does, but what he is, that is most important. It's not what a man does that's most important. It's who a man is. That's what's most important. And I want, to under, I want you to understand this. Before we dive into anything about living a blessed life, living a blessed life isn't about what you receive. It's about how you live. Living a blessed life isn't about what we receive, it's about how we live. But how many of us, when we think of a blessed life, we think of, man, I have this car, I got this house, I got this happening, I got this much money in my bank account. We think of material things, but when Jesus speaks about blessing, he doesn't speak about what we receive, he speaks about how we live. And Jesus is actually saying, hey, God pronounces blessing on a certain way of life. That we as believers can actually position ourselves for the blessed life. Did you know that the blessed life is actually dependent on our actions more so than God's actions? Because God's already pronounced blessing on certain places. The only thing stopping it is us living in kingdom living. Right? Because kingdom living leads to kingdom blessing. In fact... Blessing that flows from beatitude living is the birthmark of the children of God. And Jesus, his first sermon, he's teaching his people, he's teaching his disciples in the crowds, he's teaching them, he's saying, he's saying, hey, uh, it's God's desire to mark his people with blessing 
when they live a beatitude-filled life. And when we look at the first four beatitudes, there's a consistent theme. And there's a consistent theme on the last four beatitudes. That's why we're separating it into two different teachings. But the theme of the first four beatitudes is this, is about a decrease in us-centeredness so that we can have an increase of God-centeredness. See, the first four Beatitudes is all about me decreasing so that God can increase in my life. So I want to give us a little backstory into the Beatitudes. And when G- what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 5 is he's laying out a Torah-like format of blessing that the Jewish tradition of that day would be very familiar with. Go, go, go and read um, uh, chapters like Psalms chapter 1. You're going to see a Torah-like format of where blessed is the man, right? We, we, we see a, a, a teaching pattern. And Jesus is about to make a statement, not saying he's mirroring the Torah, but instead that he is fulfilling the Torah. And St. Augustine points out in verse 1 that, that Jesus goes up to a mountain goes up to a mountain, and, and it's at this mountain that, that he gives these principles for living and for life. But Moses, you also know Moses went up to a mountain. He received the law written on tablets. He shared it with God's people. Now Jesus goes up a mountain as the fulfillment of the law, and now delivers the law that is to be written on the hearts of God's people. You see, the law of Moses was about changing outward actions, but the law of Christ is about changing inward motives. And, and, and he's saying, listen, the, the law was great. It shows us our inadequacies. It shows us what's wrong in our lives. But I've come to write a law on your hearts. In fact, we see the heart of God in Hebrews 10, 16, where it says, I will put my law in their hearts and I will write it on their minds, that God wants to change us from the inside out. God's desire is to engrave his law on our hearts, and through the Beatitudes, we get a portrait of what the laws of the kingdom of heaven are. You see, we position ourselves for kingdom blessing through kingdom living. And I'm going to ask a rhetorical question, and as we read the Beatitudes, I want you to keep asking this rhetorical question to yourself. Are you positioned for God's blessing? Are you positioned for God's blessing? Let's look at the first Beatitude today. Beatitude number one is poor in spirit. Say that with me. Poor in spirit. Say it again. Poor in spirit. And we see in verse 3, it says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The KJV says, God blesses the poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit means to have a consciousness of one's emptiness and need for something beyond themselves. See, the need for something beyond ourselves is God. And being poor in spirit is realizing that on my own, I cannot achieve righteousness. On my own, I am am a poor, poor man. So I need God in his richness to save me and provide me with everlasting life. You see, blessed are those that realize their need for God. 
he's saying. Blessed are those that realize their need for God. And when you realize that you've reached the end of your own resources, the end of your own talent, the end of you trying to do it all on your own, God calls you blessed. Isn't that a powerful word? God calls you blessed when you realize your way is not the best way. And it's in the moment of poverty of spirit that we realize that God is what we truly, truly need. I love how one translation puts it. It says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's, there is more of God in his role. With less of you, there's more of God in his role. See, maybe the hard things in life are there on purpose for us to realize that, I mean, I, I really need God. Maybe God will use the bad situations to get us at the end of our rope so that we can stop clinging on to our rope and cling on to our Savior and cling on to our God. See, blessed are those that realize their need for God. It reminds me of, of, of a man named John the Baptist. As, as his ministry is decreasing and Jesus is on the rise, and, and John the Baptist used to have all the crowds, but now Jesus has, has all the crowds, and, and, and John the Baptist's disciples come to him and say, Hey, Jesus has thousands. We're not pulling in what we used to pull in. We're not... We're not having the same crowds that we used to have. And, and maybe they were expecting a response of, you know, we're going to re-strategize. We're going to do this differently to, to get more people. But instead, John the Baptist makes this statement. In, in John chapter 3, he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. You see, God can only increase in your life when you decrease. God can only increase in our lives when we decrease because yourself will always get in the way of what God's wanting to do in your life. You know, um, I, my, my mom used to tell me all the time growing up, you know, life just ain't about you. Anybody's mama ever said that? Life just ain't about you. But I don't know what's wrong because my daughter has not figured that out yet. She's three weeks old. And thinks life revolves around her. If she's got a soily diaper, well, come change me. She's hungry, call my mama, right? Right? Uh, but eventually, it's cute now, it's cute at a young age, it's a need at a young age because, yes, she needs uh, all of our attention, but. If she doesn't learn that life doesn't revolve around her eventually, she's gonna turn out to be. Just not a good person, right? She's not going to live beatitudely. <laughs> Is that a word? Beatitudely. We're going we're to make it a word. Right? But because there comes a point where we have to realize life just isn't about us. Life just isn't about what I can have and, and how I can build things. And, and, and my way or the highway. I'm, I've come to tell you today that your, your mom was right. Life just isn't about you. Because life is bigger than us. Life is beyond us, and when we understand that we are in need of God and can't do this on our own, when we get to the end of our rope of ourselves, God then considers us blessed. It's the blessed life. The second beatitude we're going to look at today is mourning. Say that with me. Mourning. Say it again. Mourning. Verse 4 says, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be 
comforted. What a promise in the scripture. What a promise that when we are in mourning or in grief or in times of sadness and hardship, the promise of the Lord is this. God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. I want to encourage you today that when we mourn, God brings comfort. And if you find yourself in a season of mourning, know God can bring comfort to your life. God can bring comfort to your situation. And what this shows me is that God is concerned with what we go through. That when something causes us pain and hurt, God is concerned and desires to comfort his children like a father comforts their child. You know, maybe you found yourself today wondering, man, does anybody care what I'm going through? I mean, I'm going through it. I'm going through the thick and thin. Does anybody care? You know, nobody's coming up asking me how I'm, how I'm doing or how I'm feeling. Does anybody care? I want you to know something. God cares, and he's there to comfort you. God is with you. God is for you. God knows what you are facing. I love how the message puts it. It says, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Read it again. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You see, things were never meant to be the most dear thing to our lives. The most dear thing to our lives was meant to be Jesus, meant to be God, was meant to be his glory, was meant to be who he is. It's at that moment we've lost what is most precious to us that we can then be embraced by the one who is meant to be most dear to us. God will show up in your loneliness to wrap his love around you. Has anybody in this place ever experienced the love of God be wrapped around you when you didn't know what was going on or how you're going to make it when you felt lonely and at the end of your road, God came and wrapped his love around you. See, loss is an opportunity for us to cling to the one that is most dear to us. It's a time to let go and a time to hold on. A time to let go for which that was lost and to hold on to that which is most dear. To that which is most precious, which is most sincere. The third beatitude I'm going to look at is humility. Say that with me. Humility. I'll say it again. Humility. It's good. It's good. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. One translation says uh, God blesses the meek. God blesses the meek. I want you to understand, meekness is not weakness. In a society, especially for men, that says, man, you gotta, you got to be the biggest, the baddest. You can't show your weakness. You can't show this. You can't let other people get ahead of you. You can't, you can't be kind. You can't be this. You can't be that. I want you to know, meekness is not weakness. In fact, the word says that, that meekness, God blesses those people. God pronounces blessing on the humble. Exaltation in the kingdom of God looks like getting lower. And in Matthew chapter 20, verse 16, Jesus says, so, so those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. You see, your weakness isn't weakness. It's actually a repositioning. Your, 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 your meekness, your humility is actually an exalting, is actually a blessing. 
And in verse 5, translation says, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that cannot be bought. See, isn't that why many of us, like, become prideful? We try to put off an image of something we're not. We try to impress people that don't need impressing altogether. We, we, try, to, we try to fit into a box that, that maybe certain people and family members and friends have put us in to try to live up to an, this false image, living a life that isn't true to ourselves. But I want you to know this. Humility is being fully content with who you are and who God has created you to be. It's having confidence in who God has created you to be. Humility isn't a lack of confidence. It's having 100% confidence in who God has created you to be and who God has called you to be and who you are by the Spirit of God. And, and, and God says that, that the humble will inherit the whole earth. I love this, this, this language that Jesus is using because it's not by accident that he says you'll inherit the whole earth. It's intentional. His audience at this moment is, is, is Jews that are, are possibly loving what he's teaching and starting to believe in him. It's his disciples. They're, they're new to his teachings. And he uses this phrase because they would be very familiar with it. Because when the Jews would hear this, it would say, for you will inherit the whole earth. It actually, they would interpret it as you will inherit the land. I mean, you know what the land is. It's the promised land. And he's saying... Hey, if you're humble, God will bless you so that you inherit the promised land. Now, hold on. Jesus, like, like they're living in Jerusalem. They're living in Bethlehem and Nazareth. Aren't they in the promised land? No, there is still a promise that God has for your life. And when you live humbly, God will take you to your promise. You see, humility will lead you to your promise. That's what he's teaching us is that humility will lead us to our promise. You won't get there through your pride. You can only grab a hold of the promise through humility. And I want you to know something. The greatest thing you can do for your double portion, the greatest thing you can do for the promise that God's given for your life is to live a life of humility, to live a life of, of, of meekness. And when we live in humility and meekness, God is actually repositioning us to take a hold of the promise. Just take a hold of the promise. Mom, dad, brother, sister, I don't know what you've been praying for, but I said this in the, in the 830 service, and I believe it's true specifically for this service today, is that many have been praying for the promise of their family members to return to Christ. They've been praying for, for, for them to return home. And you're saying, God, I don't know how I'm going to see it. I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying. I, I want to give you some insight here. He says here that, that God blesses the humble for they will inherit the promise. If God has given you a promise that your friends and your family will return to Christ, don't let go. Get more humble. Because we can say, all right, God, I'm going to keep praying, I'm going to keep praying. Why don't we hold God at his word? And say, God, that's a promise you gave me. So I'm going to increase my humility so that I can take hold of the promise over my life, over my family's life. Living a life of meekness. Beatitude number four. Hunger and thirst 
for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Verse 6 says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. One translation says righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Growing up, I always wondered what this word righteousness was. And, you know, you, you grow up in in the Christian faith, and sometimes you just, yeah, righteousness, righteousness. Well, what is righteousness? It's very simply put, righteousness is right living. Righteousness is how God intends things to happen. Righteousness is right living, living under God's idea of how things should be done. And having a hunger and a thirst for righteousness is about desiring to do things God's ways, how his word says, more than the way the world wants us to do things. You see, righteousness is found in God's word, not in the world. Righteousness is found in God's word, not in the world. We weren't called to, to operate on earthly principles. We we're called to operate on kingdom principles. But how many, I mean, it's true that maybe when we face a trial, our first response isn't to go to the Lord or to go to his word. Our first response is to look at earthly principles. Well, how am I going to figure this out? How am I going to do this? How am I? Don't worry about how you are going to fulfill an earthly problem with an earthly resource. Get your minds onto kingdom principles that lead to kingdom blessing. Because God is not, it, it is not limited by the resources that we have in our lives. He's not limited by, by, by what we're facing because God is much greater than those things. Because kingdom principles lead to kingdom blessing. Hungering and thirsting means having a desire for the things of God more than the things of the world. It's about getting saved. And so, you know, I, I used to love to do that in my life. I used to love to, to, opera, to do this with my friends and do that with my friends. And, but you know what? I want to do what God's word says more than I want to do what the world says. You know, I, I want to live a life that is pleasing to God more than it is pleasing to myself. The message puts this verse this way. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. See, the ways of God will bring greater satisfaction to your life than the world ever could. Jesus, later on in the Sermon of the Mount, he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. You see, living a blessed life isn't about what we receive. It's about how we live. It's about God taking care of our needs. Sometimes we want to take care of our wants, right? We want, right? We want him to take care of our wants, but the promise is he'll take care of everything you need. He's got you. And the first four Beatitudes are about a decrease in us-centeredness. And an increase in God-centeredness. That when we say, you know, Lord, I like my way of doing things. But I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to set aside my viewpoint of things. I'm going to pick up your viewpoint of things. What you have to say about my situation. What you have to say about my actions. What you have to say about my life. See, what these Beatitudes show us is that when we become less us-centered, we can then become more God-centered. 
start having the band make their, make their way back up this morning. See, it's about recognizing our need for God. To be poor in spirit. Understanding I need God. It's about allowing God to wrap his love around us in our moments of need. That he'll give us comfort when we mourn. Give us peace for sorrow. Beauty for ashes. It's about living in humility. Knowing meekness is not weakness. Letting other people get ahead of us in life isn't a weakness. It's actually a godly principle. And it's about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Saying, God, I want to do what you have to say. God, I want to do what your word says. You know, um, when I read the word of God, it, it, it sometimes really convicts me. <laughs> and I love the Sermon on the Mount because I can't read it and not get convicted. Because Jesus says things like, love your enemies, pray for those that persecute you. Uh, somebody slaps you on the cheek, give them your other cheek. Somebody asks for, your, for this, give them your cloak. You know, it's like, it's like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to. But I want to tell you something. If we read the word of God and don't get a little convicted or a little offended, we're probably reading it wrong. Because this is from God's kingdom. And I'm just going to tell you something. I'm made of flesh, and a lot of times I want earthly things. I don't want kingdom things. So when I read the words of God, I have a choice. I can allow it to speak to me and convict me and say, God, I repent of that way. I repent of that. I turn to you. Well, I also have a response where I can say, you know, I'm good. Maybe I'll just skip over the Beatitudes. The whole Sermon of the Mount altogether, right? See, the red letters will penetrate our hearts, convict us of our sins, and teach us to become God-centered. May we not simply hear the words of Christ, but may we be doers of his word. It's my prayer today. As we've been going through the Beatitudes, maybe the Lord has revealed something to you. I know I'm not preaching from having these four Beatitudes all together. There's a lot of me that's got to decrease so that he can increase. I'm preaching really from a weakness. I'm preaching from a need of saying, God, I, I realize that I need you. God, I, I'm poor in spirit. God, I realize I can't do this on my own. God, I realize I can't take on what you've called me to do. I, God, I realize maybe I've been prideful in this situation. I realize that, that maybe I was going through a tough time and I didn't let you comfort me. I was mourning, but I didn't let you wrap your loving arms around me. God, may, maybe my desires have been more for myself, not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I don't know which you find yourself in today, but I want you to know that today is a moment for us to reposition our hearts. Say, God, not my way, but your way. Can we all pray? Close our eyes in prayer this morning. Holy Spirit, reveal yourself to us. God, you've spoken to us through your words. Now, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. We invite you to reveal anything in us you want to change.
every head bowed, every eye closed, you find yourself in this place this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But today you want to accept him as Savior of your life. You realize that you can't do this on your own. If that's you this morning, on the count of three, just slip up your hand. You want to rededicate your heart to the Lord. One, two, three. If that's you, just slip up your hand. See that hand. See that hand. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Can we all repeat this prayer after me? Say, dear Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. I can't do this alone. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. And from this day forward, I'll live for you. I give you my heart. I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Everybody said. Come on, give God praise for those that just said that prayer. First time or rededicated your heart to the Lord. I want you to know, if you said that prayer today, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. God never promised a storm wouldn't come, but he promised he'd be a shelter in your storm. And so if you made that decision today, please stop by the Next Steps table. Sign up to get baptized. Engage in community. But as a church, can we all stand together? What I want us to do, I, I really think for each of us, all of us could find ourselves in something that, that we need to work on or, or maybe we need to get a little more humble or we want to desire righteousness a little more. But we're going to take a couple minutes. We're going to worship together. So as a church family, can we step out from where we are? Let's come down front. Let's fill the altars. And let, let's just pursue the King of Kings. Let's just pursue Jesus this morning. Come on, let's step out. And let's sing this. Sing. Kingdom living leads to kingdom blessing. Just the 
less of me, more of you. That sums up those four Beatitudes, doesn't it? Less of me and more of you. And as we take those words that Pastor Tyler preached this morning, didn't he do a good job? Yes. We take those words, we begin to apply them to our own hearts. We see how much that 